It is prophesied of Jesus. We read in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. He is called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Very simply, if he is our Prince, we will have peace. If he is your Prince, then you will have peace. John 14, 27, before Jesus left the earth, he said, my peace I leave with you. And we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and 14, as, as the Apostle Paul draws us to the cross, to the shed blood of Jesus, he simply says, for he is our peace. He is our peace. Is Jesus my peace? We want to focus together this morning on maintaining peace. Maintaining peace. When an individual realizes his sin and comes to Jesus initially in the first place, then he receives forgiveness. He receives that initial peace of mind. We read about that in Romans 5 verse 1. Romans 5 1 says, Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means to be saved from your sins. Faith there means to believe in God, but also to submit to Him, obey Him. But when we first come to, to Christ, we, we get that peace of mind, but we've got to maintain that. That's, that's oftentimes very difficult. And we want to notice some things associated with maintaining peace this morning. Maintaining peace. First, I want us to, to notice that Peace means that God uses broken people. Peace is realizing that God uses broken people. All of us feel broken throughout life, at least to some degree or measure. Sometimes we feel self-conscious because of our abilities or lack of abilities maybe, or our appearance even or especially the situations in life, but we need to recall that God uses broken people. I think about Moses, Exodus 4 and verse 10. Think about Moses, and he didn't want to go to work for God. God wanted him to lead his people. He didn't want to go to work. He said, Lord, I can't do this. I am slow of speech. I am slow of speech. Hebrew scholars tell us that that phrase could very well mean that Moses was saying he, he stuttered as he spoke. He stuttered. But God chose him anyway. God uses broken people. He, he chose Moses, who was slow of speech, to lead a mighty nation. You might think of the thousands of people that comes out of a football stadium on, on Saturday afternoon, well, that's not even close to the amount of people that God 
chose Moses to lead out of Egyptian bondage uh, into freedom. God uses broken people. And we think of other examples. Abraham was a hundred years old when God uh, blessed him with the promised, uh, promised son. We think about Joseph and how abused he was by his brothers and how he was mistreated even in Potiphar's house. Yet God used him, a broken man, uh, to become mighty and become big part of his will. Think about Rahab, the harlot, in the book of Joshua. God used her mightily in his conquering of, of Jericho. We think about Naomi and Ruth, and the loss of their relatives, and yet God used them. And even in the very lineage of Jesus, we think about old King David and all of his faults and weaknesses, and yet he came back and he, he tried and he, he repented and remained faithful to God. Be turning with me to, to Psalms and listen to David speak. Psalm, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Notice verse 18. The Lord is near. Notice this, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And you'll find a similar phrase used by David in Psalm 51 and 17. Psalm 51 and 17. And add to that, while we're in the Old Testament there, add to your list of verses there. When you talk about God using broken people, add... Add Isaiah 57, 15 that says that God dwells in a high and holy place in his own temple way up above, but he also dwells in the hearts of those who are lowly, those who are crushed in spirit, those who are broken hearted. So it helps us to maintain peace if we will remember that God uses broken people broken people. Now some of us are way too self-absorbed. We're way too full of ourselves. We're way too self-confident. We're way too self-sufficient and we need, to, we need to break ourselves down before God. We need to humble ourselves. One way or another, if you want to be used by God, you've got to be broken. Okay. The pride has got to be gone. And God will use different measures or combinations of, of teachings from his word, examples from his word, example of Jesus himself. But also life itself sometimes will come crushing down upon us. And God will do what it takes if we are willing to break us down. And then that's when he can use us. We think of Job. Satan coming after Job. God said in Job chapter 1, he said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, no wonder he serves you, God. You have built a hedge about him and you've put all good things in his life. And here's Satan's challenge to God. He said, God, if you take away the good things, 
he will walk away. If you take away the good things, Job will walk away. God said, I'll take that bet. I'll take that challenge. And we'll just see. And Job did not walk away. He did not walk away. Even though he was broken, broken, and he lost, and he lost, and he lost, yet he would not walk away. What about you? Are you a trophy for God? Can God point to us? Can God look to Satan and say, have you considered her? Would you like to come after her? I guarantee you she won't fall. He won't fall. So first, as we think about maintaining peace, let's think about how the God uses broken people. In the second place, as we think about maintaining peace, let's remember that peace is about dealing with pain. Peace is oftentimes about dealing with pain. Pain. First, there's different types of pain. We know there's physical pain, and that can get so bad that it drifts into emotional and spiritual pain, but there's, there's all types of pain that people are carrying around with them. Maybe you are. There's physical pain, there's emotional pain, there's even spiritual pain. Spiritual in the sense that people become disappointed in God himself. There's the pain of loneliness because really when it comes right down to it, no one can understand the pain of another individual except God. God completely understands. And we can do our best to understand and we can relate in some feature or another, but not completely because everybody is different. Everybody's situation is different and that creates a sort of loneliness and that's painful. but we can have peace. Sometimes just beginning to realize that we have limitations. And as we get older, we have physical limitations, perhaps other types of limitations. That becomes very frustrating, even, even painful. But yet we can still have, we can still have peace. We can, we can still have peace. Thing about pain is, it, it really doesn't have a timeline. You, it's not like getting over a cold. You can have a cold for a while and then you can expect that after a few days you, you, you'll finally say, well, I'm finally over that cough. I'm finally. Pain doesn't work that way. Pain can seem like it's going away, but then all of a sudden it can rush back in. Emotionally, spiritually, it can rush back in. But we can still, we can still have peace let me suggest when we think about pain, let's think about three questions. Three questions about pain. First question is, could it be that God will use pain to help me grow closer to Him? Could it be that God will use pain to help me grow closer to Him? Back in Romans 5 verse 3, Paul says, we also rejoice in our, in our sufferings. And he had just said, we rejoice in our salvation. Absolutely. He says, but also we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering 
produces endurance. And endurance produces hope. And hope leaves us unashamed because God is pouring his love into our, into our hearts. Isn't it amazing there? He's talking about sufferings. He's talking about rejoicing. He's talking about God's love all there in the midst. See, it could very well be God is using pain or can use pain to draw us closer to him. And what about this question? Could it be that God uses pain for us to help somebody else? Our pain can help somebody else. I think of Acts 16 and Paul and Silas, they're in Philippi and they get beaten because of their work for Christ and they lay many blows upon them, very painful, then they're thrown into the prison. But out of that experience comes the salvation of the jailer and his household. It could be, could it be that God might use pain? It might be that somebody sees us dealing with pain in such a way with trust in Jesus that it softens their heart and helps them to see that maybe they can endure pain and follow the Lord as well. And could it be that God uses pain to help us long for the place where there is no pain? Revelation 21, 4, there in heaven, in that great city, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain, no more pain. So maintaining peace means that we learn to deal with pain, with pain. In the third place, maintaining peace means we understand the will of God. Maintaining peace means we understand the will of God. Everything that happens is not the will of God. We need to be very careful about this, okay? Everything that happens in life is not the will of God. Let's be careful about that. A little child passes away for some reason or another and somebody rises up and says, well, God must have needed another flower in heaven. Don't say that because you don't know. You don't know. Romans eleven thirty three says God's ways are past finding out. Okay. Let's not make careless statements. Okay. Not everything in life that happens is the will of God. Okay. A drunkard gets out on the road, crashes into a car, a couple of little children die. That's not the will of God. That's a violation of the will of God. A shooter walks into a place and kills several family members. Okay, that's not the will of God. It's a violation of the will of God. And if we're careless in understanding God, then it can cause others to become angry at God. And who could blame them? The truth is that God has made us in a marvelous way Freedom of choice. We're made in his image. We're able to think, feel, and choose. We're also, we have made the decision to sin. And so you combine that together, people make bad choices. And God allows us, he has to, as he continues to respect our freedom of will, and freedom of choice, he allows us to suffer the bad consequences of the bad choices 
He allows us to suffer the consequences of bad choices of ourselves and other people. But here's the marvelous thing about God. Even in the consequences of our bad choices, other people's bad choices, God can use situations to bring about good. It is not the will of God back in the old days, New Testament times, it was not the will of God that, that the, the Roman government be so cruel, even to be so cruel to create dungeons and prisons for those that, that they considered not of their uh, ways. And the Apostle Paul ended up there in prison. Okay. But listen to what he says in Philippians 1 verse 12. He wanted the brethren to know. Philippians 1 verse 12. He wanted the brethren to know. He said, brethren, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have served to advance the gospel. Well, I tell you, that Paul was something else. They have, these things that have happened to me have served to advance the gospel. It's not the will of God that these prisons were created, but there he was. He goes on to say in Philippians 1.13, he says, It's such the case that the entire imperial guard, now all of them know that I'm in prison for Christ. How do they know? Paul's not going to shut up. Okay. They know why he's there, because he's going to let them know about Christ. But he's not finished. Philippians 1.14 he says, and here's something else, brethren. All the brethren here at Rome, now they are more confident in the Lord. And now they are more bold to speak the word of God without fear. And so for us to maintain peace, we must understand the will of God. Not everything that happens is the will of God. But certainly in every situation, God can take a faithful person and great faith and accomplish his will. In the fourth place, as we think about maintaining peace, we must also think about working in prayer. And I'm saying that the way I need to say it. Working in prayer. Prayer is hard work. Be checking a, a chapter with me, Psalm 13, and see what you think. Psalm 13. Sometimes when we pray, it doesn't seem like much is happening. There are various reasons for that. One would be God is invisible. Another is that God works um, behind the scenes a lot. But notice the somewhat frustration that is uh, expressed here in Psalm 13 verse 1. Psalm 13, verse 1. Listen to, uh, listen to the writer here. How long, O Lord? How long? Now, ask yourself, have you ever prayed like this? By the way, when you pray, let the Lord know your heart. Even when you're frustrated, let him know. Notice Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? Will you forget me forever? Lord, will you forget me forever? Notice the, notice the thoughts coming from, from the heart there. 
He feels like the Lord has just forgotten him forever. He has just tossed me aside, even though he's been praying. How long will you hide your face from me, Lord? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is written for us to read. But notice, notice at the end of this short psalm, the, the writer is not losing faith. He's just expressing his frustration to the Lord. But notice at the end of the psalm, in verse 5, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Notice this. We're going to be singing tonight. Notice verse 6, Psalm 13. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even in the midst of frustration, we ought to sing. Even in the midst of frustration and, and misunderstanding and not understanding everything there is to know about about prayer, even in the midst of all that, we still sing. We still celebrate the love of God. Maintaining peace means we work in prayer. One thing you find out as you dig a little deeper into the scriptures, you find out these godly people, they struggled in prayer. They did. Think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He had this thorn in the flesh. How many times did he ask the Lord? He just kept going to the Lord. Three times. I wonder why he chose three times and not five. Why three times, Paul? What do you think? What do you think? Huh? Three should be enough. Do what? He finally got his answer? Okay. My grace is sufficient for you. I wonder if he was thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 36 to 46 there. Three times Jesus prayed. Jesus kept praying about this cup that was before him, this cup of suffering that was facing him. And yet at the same time, he wanted to make sure he didn't do his will, but the Father's will. And three times, not just one time, but a second time, not just a second time, but a third time he goes and repeats to the Father. Perhaps Paul said to himself, well, I've got this thorn in the flesh and, and I'm going to go three times like my Lord did. I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about it three times and then I'm through. But it tells us that in the scriptures, the most godly people worked in prayer. We get the idea that, that prayer ought to be a little rhyme we say to God and then think great things ought to happen. Prayer is a test of our faith. Okay. Prayer, as, as I've often heard said, prayer is not so much about changing God as it is changing me. We work in prayer. And we won't ever get the peace from God unless we understand that you, we work in prayer. Notice and think about with me for a second three words that start with an I. The word interest, the word interest. God is interested in our prayers. He has a great interest in our prayers. First Peter 3, 12 says, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto our prayers, our supplications. He's interested. Everything that you have to say to Him, everything that you would say to Him, He is right there. He is ready to hear it. He's wondering why you haven't already talked to Him about it. Secondly, think about the word incline. 
Psalm 86, verse 1. David prayed, Lord, incline your ear my way and answer me. Lord, answer me. The word incline means to lean forward to be able to hear. That's what God is doing when we're praying. He, he, you have got his attention. He is leaning forward and you, we don't know how. He is so amazing. How can you listen to our prayer and your prayer and then all the other prayers? But he can and he does. He has your attention. And you have his attention. So we think about the word interest and the word incline. Also the word intercession. Hebrews 7.25 Jesus ever lives now to make intercession for us. The Holy Spirit also, according to Romans 8, makes intercession. What it is, the Lord is defending us as we pray. The Lord is pleading our case as we pray. And try to envision that if you can. And I know it's hard because God is is it's just, it's hard to picture God, but if you can picture three persons, and one is receiving our prayers, the others are too. But also there are others who are who are pleading our case with our prayer, and and, and so there's a lot behind our prayers, a lot behind our prayers. Maintaining peace means we work in prayer. Also, before we close this morning, maintaining peace means we, we, we learn the ability to sympathize. Maintaining peace means we learn the ability to sympathize, sympathy. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. What is sympathy? Well, I think sympathy is the combination of the fruit of the Spirit, basically. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A few of those especially helps us to have sympathy, such as patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. It would probably be real good if we would take those qualities, paste them somewhere on the dashboard of our car, because you need that out here on the road, don't you? Okay. First, let us say this. Okay. And we have to use words that are appropriate. There are, there are some very foolish people on the road who, who are absolutely careless, and you have to watch out for them. Okay. And every young person that becomes driving age, which actually driving age ought to be age 28, but it, I tell them that there are idiots on the road. And you've got to know that, especially right out here. But nonetheless, we can't control others. We can control ourselves before God. It could be. As we think about patience, endurance, we think about kindness, gentleness, and self-control, it could be that as we drive, we can remember pain of other people. Other people have pain. And oftentimes, the way they are driving could be that they have just lost someone 
or it could be that they've just had a miscarriage, or it could be they're going through some family trauma. It could be that they have some physical pain. It could be that they have a very worrisome set of conditions upon them. And we need to be able to remember that. We can't control what others do, but we can control ourselves before God. In the ancient times, if someone was agitated, I think just of Mordecai, Book of Esther, but other examples, when someone is agi agitated, they would put on sackcloth, which is like potato sacks, but worse. They just get dressed in sackcloth and go out and mourn and weep. But the symbol there was to show that you have severe agitation on the inside of you. Well, folks, in order to sympathize, we, we've got to remember a lot of people are wearing sackcloth. We don't see it, but inside they're wearing sackcloth. There's, some, there's something going on. And the words they say, the actions they take is, is not something against you. You're hearing it and you're receiving it, but oftentimes there's something deeper on the inside of them and you just happen to be in the way. But for us to become people of sympathy will help us to maintain peace. And as we close, maintaining peace means that we know how to face death. Because at any moment, we understand at any moment, even maybe in the next couple of minutes, maybe in the next couple of hours, any of us can be sent into eternity without, a, without warning in a moment's notice. And so to maintain peace, we've got to know how to face death. How do I know that I'm facing death? Well, first, I am continue, continually examining myself. 2 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 5. We examine ourselves to see where we're at. Are we in the faith? Am I walking with God? If I'm facing death, then I am continually. That's the opportunity that is so it's so uh, out there that it's so uh, ready to be um, received when we take the Lord's Supper here in a little while. We, it's an opportunity to examine ourselves. That's one way I know I'm facing death. Another way is, am I living in the purpose of God? Am I living in the purpose of God? And Solomon sums this up in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, to fear God and keep His commandments. James McCorder, Christian lady of a couple generations ago, she wrote a book called Let This Cut Pass. And she said, it's so very important. She went through quite a bit of suffering herself. So very important to realize that the meaning of life is to prepare for eternity and that's about it. The meaning of life, the purpose of life is to prepare for eternity. Whether a person lives to be age 50 or 90, whether a person lives a carefree or a burdensome life, nonetheless, that person must prepare for eternity because that's where we're all headed, heading. And then I know that I'm ready for, for death if I realize that death is going to be better, much better, Philippians 1, 21 to 23. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That doesn't mean that we're suicidal, but it does mean that to die is gain. We look at death as being a loss. 
But Paul looks at it as a gain. He said, to depart and to be with Christ is far, far better. Maintaining peace, there's much more we could say, but it's very important as we go through life, the Christian life, the Christian life. Are you a Christian this morning? Have you turned from sin? Have you developed a faith in the Son of God? Do you know of His work on the cross, of His shed blood? Do you know of the love of God? Have you responded to that? Have you surrendered your life? Jesus said one time, He who believes and is baptized, you know, that, that baptism kind of replays the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He, he died for us and was buried and raised the third day, and we die to our sins and immersed in water and we're raised and we have forgiveness and we begin this journey. That's just the beginning. That's, that's what we're talking about this morning. Maintaining peace. Okay, we received that initial peace, but we've got to maintain it. If we can help with any spiritual need, please make that known as we stand together right now and as we sing.